Section 19 of A Woman's Journey Round the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter 11 Madras and Calcutta. Part 2 the botanical garden lies five miles distant from the town it was founded in the year seventeen forty three but it is more like a natural park than a garden as it is by no means so remarkable for its collection of flowers and plants as for the number of trees and shrubs which are distributed here and there with studied negligence in the midst of large grass plots a neat little monument with the marble bust is erected to the memory of the founder the most remarkable objects are the two banyan trees these trees belong to the fig tree species and sometimes attain a height of forty feet the fruit is very small round and of dark red it yields oil when burnt when the trunk has reached an elevation of about fifteen feet a number of small branches shoot out horizontally in all directions and from these quantity of thread-like roots descend perpendicularly to the ground in which they soon firmly fix themselves when they are sufficiently grown they send out shoots like a parent trunk and this process is repeated ad infinitum so that it is easy to understand how a single tree may end by forming a whole forest in which thousands may find a cool and shady retreat this tree is held sacred by the hindus they erect altars to the god rama beneath its shade and there too the brahmin instructs his scholars the oldest of these two trees together with its family already describes a circumference of more than six hundred feet and the original trunk measures nearly fifty feet round adjoining the botanical garden is the bishop's college in which the natives are trained as missionaries after the governor's palace it is the finest building in calcutta and consists of two main buildings and three wings on the main building is occupied by an extremely neat chapel the library which is noble-looking room contains a rich collection of works of the best authors and is thrown open to the pupils but the industry does not appear to equal the magnificence of arrangements for on taking a book from the bookcase i immediately let it fall again and ran to the other end of the room a swarm of bees had flown upon me from out of the bookcase the dining and the sleeping rooms as well as the other apartments are so richly and conveniently furnished that a person might easily suppose that the establishment had been founded for the sons of the richest english families who are so accustomed to comfort from their tenderest infancy that they were desirous of transplanting it to all quarters of the globe but no one would ever imagine the place had been built for the labourers in the vineyard of the lord i surveyed this splendid institution with a sadder heart than i might have done because i knew it was intended for the natives who had first put off their own simple mode of life and accustomed themselves to convenience and superfluity only to wander forth into the woods and wilderness and to exercise their office in the midst of savages and barbarians among the sites of calcutta may be reckoned the garden of the chief judge mr lawrence peel which is equally interesting to the botanist and the amateur and which in rare flowers plants and trees is much richer than the botanical garden itself the noble park laid out with consummate skill the luxuriant lawns interspersed and bordered with flowers and plants the crystal ponds the shady alleys with their boskets and gigantic trees all combined to form a perfect paradise 
in the midst of which stands the palace of the fortunate owner opposite to this park in the large village of alifagur is situated the modest little house which is the birthplace of much that is good it contains a small surgery and is inhabited by a native who has studied medicine here the natives may obtain both advice and medicine for nothing this kind and benevolent arrangement is due to lady julia cameron wife of the law member of the supreme council of india charles henry cameron i had the pleasure of making this lady's acquaintance and found her to be in every respect an ornament to her sex wherever there is any good to be done she is sure to take the lead in the years eighteen forty six to forty seven she set on foot subscriptions for the starving irish writing to the most distant provinces calling upon every englishman to contribute his might in this manner she collected the large sum of eighty thousand rupees eight thousand pounds lady peel has distinguished herself also in the field of science and burgers leonore has been beautifully translated by her into english she is also a kind mother and an affectionate wife and lives only for her family caring little for the world many call her an original would that we had a few more such originals i had brought no letters of recommendation to this amiable woman but she happened to hear of my travels and paid me a visit in fact the hospitality i met with her was really astonishing i was cordially welcomed in the very first circles and every one did all in his power to be of use to me i could not help thinking of count rechberg the austrian minister rio janeiro who thought he had conferred a great mark of distinction by inviting me once to his villa and to purchase this honour i had either to walk an hour in the burning heat or pay six mill rice thirteen shillings for a carriage in calcutta a carriage was always sent for me i could relate a great many more anecdotes of the worthy count who made me feel how much i was to blame for not descending from a rich and aristocratic family i experienced different treatment from the member of the supreme council charles henry cameron and from the chief judge mr peel these gentlemen respected me for myself alone without troubling their heads about my ancestors during my stay in calcutta i was invited to a large party in honour of mr peel's birthday but i refused the invitation as i had no suitable dress my excuse however was not allowed and i accompanied lady cameron in a simple coloured muslin dress to a party where all the other ladies were dressed in silk and satin and covered with lace and jewellery yet no one was ashamed of me but conversed freely with me and showed me every possible attention a very interesting promenade for a stranger is that of the strand or maytown as it is likewise called it is skirted on one side by the banks of the hoogly and on the other by beautiful meadows beyond which is the noble chaudrini road consisting of rows of noble palaces and reckoned the first quarter of calcutta besides this there is a fine view of governor's palace the cathedral octoloni's monument the magnificent reservoirs fort william a fine pardagon with the extensive outworks and many other remarkable objects every evening before sunset all the fashionable world of calcutta streams hitherward the passport european the stuck-up babu or nabob the deposed raja are to be beheld driving in splendid european carriages followed by a multitude of servants in oriental costume some standing behind their carriage and some running before it the rajas and the nabobs are generally dressed in silk robes embroidered with gold 
over which are thrown the most costly indian shawls ladies and gentlemen mounted upon english blood horses gallop along the meadows while the crowds of natives are seen to be laughing and joking on their way home after the conclusion of their day's work nor is the scene on the hoogly less animated first-class east indiamen are lying at anchor unloading or being cleaned out while numberless small craft pass continually to and fro i had been told the population here suffered very much from elephantiasis and that the numbers of poor wretches with horribly swollen feet were to be seen at every turn but this is not true i did not meet with as many cases of the kind during five weeks here as i did in one day in rio janeiro on one occasion i paid visit to rich babu the property of the family consisting of three brothers was reckoned at hundred and fifty thousand pounds the master of the house received me at the door and accompanied me to the reception room he was clad in a large dress of white muslin over which was worn a magnificent indian shawl which extended from the hips to the feet and made up for the transparency of the muslin one end of the shawl was thrown over his shoulder in the most picturesque manner the parlour was furnished in the european fashion a large hand organ stood in one corner and in other a spacious bookcase with the works of the principal english poets and philosophers but it struck me that these books were there more for show than use for the two volumes of byron works were turned different ways while the young's night thoughts were struck between there were a few engravings and pictures which the worthy babu imagined to be an ornament to the walls but which were not so much value as the frames that contained them my host sent for his two sons handsome boys one seven another four years old and introduced them to me i inquired although it is quite contrary to custom to do so after his wife and daughters our poor sex ranks so low in the estimation of the hindus that it is almost an insult to a person to mention any of his female relations he overlooked this in me as a european and immediately sent for his daughters the youngest a most lovely baby six months old was nearly white with large splendid eyes the brilliancy of which was greatly increased by the delicate eyelids which were painted a deep blue round the edges the elder daughter nine years old had a somewhat common coarse face her father who spoke tolerable english introduced her to me as a bride and invited me to the marriage which was to take place in six weeks i was astonished at this considering the child's extreme youth that i remarked he no doubt meant her betrothal but he assured me that she would then be married and delivered over to her husband on my asking whether the girl loved her intended bridegroom i was told that she would see him for the first time at the celebration of the nuptials the babu informed me further that every person like himself looked out for a son-in-law as soon as possible and that the younger a girl married the more honourable was it accounted an unmarried daughter was a disgrace to her father who was soon looked down upon as possessed of no paternal love if he did not get her off his hands as soon as he has found a son-in-law he describes his bodily and mental qualities as well as his worldly circumstances to his wife and with this description she is obliged to content herself for she is never allowed to see her future son-in-law either as the betrothed or the husband of her child the bridegroom is never considered to belong to the family of the bride but the latter leaves her own relations for those of her husband no woman however is allowed to see or speak with the female relations of her husband nor dare she ever appear before the manservants of her household without being veiled 
if she wishes to pay a visit to her mother she is carried to her shut up in a palanquin i also saw the babu's wife and one of his sisters-in-law the former was twenty-five years old and very corpulent the latter was fifteen and was slim and well made the reason of this as i was told is that the females although married so young seldom become mothers before their fourteenth year and until then preserve their original slimness after their first confinement they remain for six or eight weeks shut up in their room and living all the time on the most sumptuous and dainty food this fattening process generally produces the desired effect the reader must know that the hindus like the mohammedans are partial to corpulent ladies i never saw any specimen of this kind of beauty however among the lower classes the two ladies were not decently attired their bodies and heads were enveloped in ample blue and white muslin drapery embroidered with gold and bordered with lace of the same material as broad as a man's hand but the delicate texture was so ethereal that every outline of the body was visible beneath it besides this whenever they moved their arms and muslin opened and displayed not only their arm but a portion of their bosom and body they appeared to pay a great deal of attention to their hair their chief care seemed to consist in replacing the muslin on their heads whenever it enchanced to fall off as long as a female is unmarried she is never allowed to lay aside her headdress these ladies were so overloaded with gold pearls and diamonds that they really resembled beasts of burden large pearls with other precious stones strung together adorned their heads and neck as likewise did heavy gold chains and mounted gold coins their ears which were pierced all over i counted twelve holes in one ear were so thickly laden with similar ornaments that the latter could not be distinguished from one another all that was to be seen was a confused mass of gold pearls and diamonds on each arm were eight to ten costly bracelets the principal one which was four inches broad being composed of massive gold with six rows of small brilliants i took it in my hand and found it weighed at least half a pound they had gold chains twisted three times round their thighs and their ankles and feet were also encircled with gold rings and chains their feet were dyed with henna the two ladies then brought me their jewel cases and showed me the great many more valuable ornaments the hindus must spend immense sums in jewels and gold and silver embroidered dhaka muslin as in these articles it is the endeavour of every lady to outrival all her acquaintances as they had anticipated my arrival the two ladies were arrayed in their most costly apparel being determined to exhibit themselves to me in true indian splendour the babu also conducted me to the inner apartments looking into the courtyard some of these were furnished only with carpets and pillows the hindus not being in general partial to chairs or beds in others were different pieces of european furniture such as tables chairs presses and even bedsteads a glass case containing dolls coaches horses and other toys was pointed out to me with peculiar satisfaction both children and women are very fond of playing with these things though the women are more passionately fond of cards no married woman is allowed to enter the rooms looking out upon the street as she might be seen by a man from the opposite windows the young bride however profited by her freedom and tripping before us to the open window glanced into the busy street the wives of the rich hindus or of those belonging to the higher castes are as much confined to their houses as the chinese women the only pleasure that the husband's strictness permits the wife to enjoy 
is to pay a visit now and then in a carefully closed palanquin to some friend or relation it is only during the short time that a woman remains unmarried that she is allowed rather more freedom a hindu may have several wives there are however but few examples of his availing himself of this privilege the husband's relation generally reside in the same house but each family has its separate household the elder boys must take their meals with their father but the wife daughters and younger boys are not allowed this privilege both sexes are extremely fond of tobacco which they smoke in pipes called hookahs at the conclusion of my visit i was offered sweetmeats fruits raisins etc the sweetmeats were mostly composed of sugar almonds and suet but were not very palatable owing to the predominance of the suet before leaving the house i visited the ground floor to examine the room in which once a year a religious festival called nach is celebrated this festival which is most important one in the hindu religion takes place in the beginning of the october and lasts a fortnight during which time neither poor nor rich do any business whatever the master closes his shops and warehouses and the servant engages a substitute generally from among the mohammedans and then both master and servant spend the fortnight if not in fasting and prayer most certainly in doing nothing else the babu informed me that these occasions his room is richly ornamented and a statue of ten armed goddess durga is placed inside it this statue is formed of clay or wood painted with most glaring colors and loaded with gold and silver tinsel flowers ribbons and often with even real jewelry hundreds of lights and lamps placed between vases and garlands of flowers glitter in the room the courtyard and outside the house a number of different animals are offered up as sacrifices they are not slain however in the presence of the goddess but in some retired part of the house priests attend upon the goddess and female dancers display their talent before her accompanied by the loud music of the tam-tam both priests and dancers are liberally paid some of the latter like our tagelionists and elslers earn large sums during the period of my stay here there was a persian dancers who never appeared for less than five hundred rupees fifty pounds crowds of the curious among whom are numbers of europeans flock from one temple to another the principal guests have sweetmeats and fruit served around them on the last day of the festival the goddess is conveyed with a great pomp and accompanied by music to the hoogli where she is put in a boat rowed into the middle of the stream and then thrown overboard in the midst of the shouts and acclamations of the multitude upon the banks formerly the real jewels were thrown along with the goddess but carefully fished up again by the priest during the night at present the real jewels are replaced on the last day by false ones or else the founder of the feast takes an opportunity of secretly obtaining possession of them during the goddess's progress to the river he is obliged to do so very cautiously however so as to not to be observed by the people a natch often costs several thousand rupees and is one of the most costly items in the expenditure of the rich marriages too are said to cost a large sums of money the brahmins observe the stars and by their aid calculate the most fortunate day and even hour for the ceremony to take place it is however frequently postponed at the very last moment for a few hours longer as the priest has taken fresh observations and it upon a still luckier instant of course such a discovery has to be paid for by an extra fee there are several feasts every year in honour of the four-armed goddess kali especially in the village of kaligat near calcutta 
there were two during my stay before each hut was placed a number of small clay idols painted with various colours and representing the most horrible creatures they were exposed there for sale the goddess kali as a large life had got her tongue thrust out as far as possible between her open jaws she was placed either before or inside the huts and was richly decorated with wreaths of flowers the temple of kali is a miserable building or rather a dark hole from whose cupola like roof rise several turrets the statue here was remarkable for its immense head and horribly long tongue its face was painted deep red yellow and sky blue i was unable to enter this godlike hole as i was a woman and as such was not reckoned worthy of admission into so sacred a place as kali's temple i looked in at the door with a hindu woman and was quite satisfied the most horrible and distressing scenes occur in the hindu dead houses and at places where the corpses are burnt those that i saw are situated on the banks of the hooghly near the town and opposite to them is the wood market a dead house was small and contained only one room in which were four bare bedsteads the dying person is brought here by his relations and either placed upon one of the bedsteads or if these are full on the floor or at a push even before the house in the burning sun at the period of my arrival there were five persons in the house and two outside the latter were completely wrapped up in straw and woolen counterpanes and i thought they were already dead on my asking whether or no this was the case my guide threw off the clothes and i saw the poor wretches move i think they must have been half smothered under the mass of covering inside on the floor lay a poor old woman the death rattle in whose throat proclaimed that her end was fast approaching the four bedsteads were likewise occupied i did not observe the mouths and the noses of these poor creatures were stopped up with mud from the ganges this may perhaps be the case in some other districts near the dying persons were seated their relations quietly and silently waiting to receive their last breath on my inquiring whether nothing was ever given to them i was told that if they did not die immediately a small draught of water from the ganges was handed to them from time to time but always decreasing in quantity and at longer intervals for when once brought to these places they must die at any price and as soon as they are dead and almost before they are cold they are taken to a place where they are burnt and which is separated from the high road by a wall in this place i saw one corpse and one person at the point of death while on six funeral piles were six corpses with flames flaring on high all around them a large number of birds larger than turkeys and called here philosophers small vultures and ravens were seated upon the neighboring tree and housetops in anxious expectation of half-burnt corpses i was horrified i hurried away and it was long before i could efface the impression made upon my mind by this hideous spectacle in the case of rich people the burning of the body sometimes costs more than a thousand rupees the most costly wood such as rose or sandalwood being employed for that purpose besides this a brahmin music and female mourners are necessary parts of the ceremony after the body has been burnt the bones are collected laid in a vase and thrown into the ganges or some other holy river the nearest relation is obliged to set fire to the pile there are naturally none of these ceremonies among poor people they simply burn their dead on the common wood or cow dung and if they cannot even buy these materials they fasten a stone to the corpse and throw it into the river 
i will here relate a small anecdote that i had from a very trustworthy person it may serve as an example of the atrocities that have been committed from the false ideas of religion mr n was once during his travels not far from ganges and was accompanied by several servants and a dog suddenly the latter disappeared and all the calling in the world would not bring him back he was at last discovered on the banks of the ganges standing near a human body which he kept licking mr n went up and found that the man had been left to die but had still some spark of life left he summoned his attendants had the slime and filth washed off the poor wretch's face and wrapped him well up in a few days after he was completely recovered on mr n's now being about to leave him the man begged and prayed him not to do so as he had lost his caste and would never be recognized by any of his relations in a word that he was completely wiped out of the list of the living mr hen took him into his service and the man at present day is still an enjoyment of perfect health the event narrated occurred years ago the hindus themselves acknowledged that their customs with regard to dying persons occasion many involuntary murders but their religion ordains that when a physician declares there is no hope left the person must die during my stay in calcutta i could learn no more of the manners of the customs of the hindus than what i have described but i became acquainted with some of the particulars of the mohammedan marriage on the day appointed for the ceremony the nuptial bed elegantly ornamented is carried with music and festivity to the house of the bridegroom and late in the evening the bride herself also conveyed there in a close palanquin with music and torches and a large crowd of friends many of whom carry regular pyramids of tapers the well-known kind of firework the bengal fire with its beautiful light blue flame is also in requisition for the evening's proceedings on arriving at the bridegroom's house the newly married couple alone are admitted the rest remain outside playing singing and hallowing until broad daylight i often heard europeans remark that they considered the procession of the nuptial couch extremely improper but as the old saying goes a man can see the moat in his neighbour's eye when he cannot perceive the beam in his own and it struck me that the same manner in which marriages are managed by europeans who are settled here is much more unbecoming it is a rule that the english that on the day appointed for the marriage which takes place towards the evening the bridegroom shall not see his bride before he meets her at the altar an infringement of this regulation would be shocking in the case the two who are about to marry should have anything to say to each other they are obliged to do so in writing scarcely however as the clergyman pronounced the benediction uh, the new married couples are packed off together in a carriage and sent to spend a week in some hotel in the vicinity of the town for this purpose either the hotel the barakpur or one or three other houses at garden rich is selected in case all the lodgings should be occupied a circumstance of by no means rare occurrence since almost all marriages are celebrated in the months of november and december a boat containing one or two cabins is hired and the young people are condemned to pass the next eight days completely shut off from all their friends and even the parents themselves are not allowed to access their children i am of opinion that a girl's modesty must suffer much from the coarse customs how the poor creature must blush on entering a place selected for her imprisonment and how each look each grin of the landlord waiters or boatmen must wound her feelings the worthy germans who think everything excellent that does not emanate from themselves 
copy this custom most conscientiously end of section 19 read by lambda